Well, about two years ago, I think it was about two years ago, as I was deciding what to study next in my personal devotions, I tried, you know, you try to alternate between Old Testament and New Testament, you know, uh, gospel, maybe some psalms or something like that, some wisdom literature, and I was flipping through, I was just looking at the contest page, I was like, two Corinthians? When was the last time I read two Corinthians? I remember thinking, what even is in two Corinthians? Like, it's, I'm sure it's got stuff that I know. Before I looked at it, I thought, and I went, ah, okay, yeah, I can think of that. Ah, yeah, all right, I reckon that's it. Yeah, I'm going to read two Corinthians, right? Because in the Corinthians, when we have one and two Corinthians, we, we go so often to one Corinthians. Uh, and I know what, there's so much in there that's speaking to a church that's, got, that's maybe in a form of crisis. And as people who are parts of members of churches which have their own form of crises from time to time, I think we can resonate with that. The two Corinthians kind of is a bit down the way in terms of the story, and we may not remember what's in there. What are some things that people, what are some verses, do people remember anything from two Corinthians? Are there anything from two Corinthians, a verse that comes to mind, or a theme, or... Oh, suffering of Christ. Suffering of Christ, Pete says, yep. Sorrow that leads to repentance. Sorrow that leads to repentance. First chapter, the top, I can't remember the verse, but that as we have suffered that much, we're able to, you know, yep. to share with others. That's right, yep. Any other? There are some pearls. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which is? Christ, he is a creation. new creation. That's right. The old is gone, the new has come. That's right. Christ loves them themselves. Yeah. How about for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes, yes in Christ Jesus. One twenty. The aroma of life. We are the aroma of life to some, but the stench of death to others. That's from two Corinthians two fifteen. We have this treasure in. Jars of clay, possibly one of the most famous bits of uh, 2 Corinthians. As uh, Grant said, if anyone's in Christ, is a new creation. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Somewhat of an anomaly when you're reading that section. Where is this, where's this little tangent Paul seems to go on? But we'll see how it's not quite as tangential as we get to that bit, uh, as it seems. He who was poor, no, he who was rich became poor. Yep. I'm not sure what the reference to that one is. And possibly chapter 12, which has, uh, outside of the treasure in jars of clay, which is possibly one of the most, I think probably the, more, the most famous parts of it, Paul talking about the thorn in his side, the thorn in his flesh, and his, his plea to have that removed three times, and yet the Lord didn't. I asked what was wrong. Yeah, yeah. And the Lord's answer, that he says the Lord's answer, which is so, which is so famous, and, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's 2 Corinthians. There's some very well-known bits in 2 Corinthians. So that's what we're going to be looking at this term in a sermon series and in our discipleship groups. And the hope is, as, both, as everyone here knows, there is only so much you can cover in a sermon. A sermon fulfills a certain purpose. A discipleship group fulfills another purpose. And the discipleship group leaders got together last Saturday morning and we talked a bit about why do we even have discipleship groups? To disciple one another. Yes, part of that means a Bible study, but part of that means to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to share our lives together. And in this 
book, in this letter, we have someone sharing his life significantly with those to whom he's writing. And we are the recipients of his writing as well, so he's sharing it with us. So, authorship. These are just some basic kind of overviews of, of the Gospel. Who is the author of uh, 2 Corinthians? It is the Apostle Paul. He says it in his very opening uh, verse. He identifies himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. And Timothy, our brother, to God's church at Corinth. If you are aware of any of the sort of critiques of any of the New Testament books um, or Old Testament books, authorship is often a question that comes up. Did Paul really write this? Well, he says that he wrote it. The whole letter fits together well. It overwhelmingly resembles his style of writing. It fits very much with all the other uncontested letters of Paul, uh, with the way he exhorts people, with the themes that come up. And it also contains a significant amount of autobiographical material, not just a significant amount, actually more than any of his other writings. And you can think of other letters of Paul's, if you're familiar with them, where he shares quite a bit of his life circumstances or his history, and yet 2 Corinthians contains more of that than any of them. And it accords with what we know from Acts, it accords with what we know uh, from his other writings. And so the authorship, we can very certainly say, is the Apostle Paul. Background to the letter. Uh, so as you know, it's 2 Corinthians of 1 and 2 Corinthians. So what's the background of the Corinthian church? Just to remind us if it has been a while if we've been thinking about that. Well, the Corinthian church in the city of Corinth was established during Paul's first visit to the city. And we can quite narrowly pinpoint that in the AD 50 or 51. In Acts chapter 18, Luke, uh, the author of that gospel, he uh, gives some references to people who are uh, in charge in certain positions in Corinth at the time, the proconsul Gallio, and Gallio can be put in a window of time by other external sources, and so we know that that, based on the timeline of, Luke, of Luke's uh, Acts account, that AD 50 was when um, Paul probably established the church, and uh, just for those who like a little bit of visual reminder, this is the New Testament churches around the time of uh, Paul's writing. You can see their Corinth there. Has anyone ever been to Corinth? That Kevin's been to Corinth and Peter has? This room. Which actually, when I think about it, it's a pretty hard proportion of people. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know an ancient city now to us, but one of the great cities just located there on that little isthmus between, um, in south central Greece, between the mainland and the Peloponnese on the south. And being a coastal city, that's where all the really big cities were, coastal cities, port cities, composed mostly uh, of first-generation first, um, Christians. So no, none who had inherited it from their Jewish background, like those in Jerusalem, but those who were Greeks who'd become uh, Christians. And in their case, the city culture affected the church culture to a significant degree. I say in the introduction to the study guides, quoting another person, it was something of the Las Vegas of, um, of the ancient world. But Mike and I were talking about this uh, just earlier today, and not just the Las Vegas of the ancient world, because Las Vegas is a place of decadence and fun and, and you know, unadulterated human pleasure, which is kind of where we go when we think of Las Vegas. It was that as well. That was a significant part of Corinth. 
but it was just a big, powerful city. It was wealthy, people lived self-centered, indulgent lives. It was power-driven. They were driven by power. They were driven by success. And all those attitudes started to affect the church culture. So the leadership that they looked for in the church was the leadership they experienced in the wider city of which they had either come out of or which they were still interacting with. And over time, uh, these problems arose, and so they sought advice from the, uh, their founding apostle Paul, who since moved on, in about AD 55. So four or five years later, they wrote to Paul. And 1 Corinthians is Paul's response to that. And if you've read 1 Corinthians, you'll know he has to deal with a bunch of issues, one after the other. Um, and so then we get to 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is sometimes referred to as the third letter. Why is it the third letter? It's only 2 Corinthians. A little bit of mystery there for you. Um, well, sometime after Paul had written his first letter, uh, the church turned against Paul. Uh, and that's perhaps not surprising. If you just look at 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 and just read what he has, what he, how he addresses, quite confrontingly addresses the Corinthians, there's that question of leadership. Remember, he says, some of you say, I follow Apollos, and some of you say, I follow Paul. Already, there's this sense of, well, maybe Paul isn't someone we should be taking that seriously. Maybe we should be taking someone else more seriously. That attitude that was seeking to sideline Paul, or ended up sidelining Paul. And so the church turned against Paul. And then he paid a visit to the church, a second visit, which he refers to as a painful visit. He refers to it in this letter, 2 Corinthians. He says it in chapter 2, verse 1. I made up my mind about this. I would not come to, uh, come to you on another painful visit. So he's referring to a visit in between writing the first letter to the Corinthians and this one. And then after that, he wrote a second letter, which he is, is often dubbed the sorrowful letter. And we don't have that letter. That letter has been lost. And he refers to it in this letter. I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart. Not that you should be hurt, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. And so this is the third letter. We know that there were three letters written. We don't have the second one. Michael also said earlier in the week as we are talking, gee, if the second letter ever gets discovered, what does that mean for the canon of the New Testament? <laughs> you know, uh, And that's we're not going to entertain any of those thoughts in our Bible study. I know that's the sort of thing Paul loves ruminating on. You can <laughs> ruminate on and come up with some theories later. But yeah, with that, this is why... So it is the second letter that we have surviving, but it, uh, it's probably it's the third letter in a sequence that Paul wrote. Um, and so he said that he made up his mind not to visit them because they, they had a falling out it was because of the, the breakdown in his relationship, because of the strife attached to his person. He instead... Uh, decided to send Titus. So he sent Titus, who was a, a colleague of his, didn't have the same baggage. Titus goes, he makes reference to Titus' visit in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of this of 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians, the references that he makes to Titus are quite positive. And he thanks the Corinthians for treating Titus so well and how encouraged Titus was by coming to visit them. And so this letter appears to have been written in response to the church's positive reception of Titus. So partly, the, the kind of relationship has now been mended. Um, circumstantially, there are a couple of other challenges that Paul faced. So in the meantime, the church had been infiltrated by false teachers. 
And these teachers were challenging two things about Paul. They were challenging, first of all, his integrity. And they were also challenging his apostolic authority, his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as he identifies himself at the very opening of this letter. They were challenging his integrity because Paul had cancelled his promised visit. He said, I'm going to come to you again. And then, because of the strife, because of the falling out, he decided not to come. And so he changed his plans, and he gives explanations for that in chapters, in chapters 1 and 2. But these people who had infiltrated the church were saying, well, see, Paul can't be trusted. He said he was going to come. You're founding apostle. And now he's not come. And so he was having to address that. That was a challenge that he was facing. And also his challenge as an apostle of Christ Jesus. These false teachers, and we can read this when we get to the kind of money chapters in chapters 8 and 9, and in chapters uh, 11 and 12, uh, we see that they were challenging Paul's integrity with respect to uh, money that had been collected. So Paul had arranged for a collection from the wealthy Corinthian church to be taken up for the impoverished Jerusalem churches. The, the church, the Jewish believers there were struggling, I think, historically it might be a bit of famine, um, and so that had been behind that. And these false teachers were saying, well, look, Paul, he's probably pocketing that money because you haven't completed the collection, we don't know about where the money is going. And also Paul was not impressive to them. And remember, that was an issue that Paul had to press in his first letter a year earlier. That leadership looked like a certain thing. And Paul wrote so boldly, but when he turned up, he didn't have that sort of the bells and whistles um, that, that they expected of their leaders. And so all that were coming together to challenge Paul's integrity and his authority as an apostle. And on top of the trouble they were causing actively for Paul, um, I'll just go back one. They uh, were also promoting a different gospel, and we don't know the specifics of this different gospel, but it probably had a lot to do with outwardly impressive displays of power and authority. So this contrasted sharply with Paul. So these are the challenges. In addition to his falling out and relational stuff that has happened historically with the church, now there's this present difficulty of the trouble that's being caused by these false teachers, whom he goes on to call super apostles later on in the book, in the letter. All right, purpose and themes. So what's the purpose that he's writing? What are some of the themes that he addresses? Well, Paul's fundamental purpose for writing is to remind the Corinthians that Christ meets us in our desperate weakness, in our desperate weakness, to the point of salvation, but beyond that, not just we need to be saved from our sin, oh, great, Christ has met us there, great, but now we go on in our own power. No, no, even beyond that. So he needs to make this point. And so against the false, what you might call the false triumphalism of his opponents, Paul proclaims a gospel in which God's power is demonstrated best in human weakness. Not that it's demonstra- it, it can be demonstrated in human weakness. It's demonstrated best in human weakness. And of course, the cross is the ultimate expression of that, isn't it? As we've just been reflecting on this Easter, the cross, Jesus looked like the weakest human being there was. We reflected on that on Good Friday. He's betrayed, he's arrested, he suffers a mock trial, he suffers a cruel death, can't even bring himself down off that cross. He dies. And yet, in that, is God bringing the whole world to reconciliation by placing their trust in Jesus who rises from And so, 
That's why Paul is clinging to the gospel, and that's why it's a different gospel that these false teachers are promoting. And remember, Paul already articulated this truth to them. This is what's so heartbreaking about this letter. There's the heartbreak of the relationship breakdown. Paul doesn't want to be out of fellowship with his believers, especially the church that he has founded. But then there's the ongoing heartache of these believers who just don't see, who seem to have gone backwards in their understanding. He's already said in his first letter, probably about a year or so earlier, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. They, they already know this. And yet these false teachers are working to undo the knowledge of that truth. And so Paul needs to address that. So under the umbrella of this overriding purpose, we can discern four purposes behind Paul's, uh, four more, I think it's called specific purposes behind his writing to Corinthians. One is to continue the relationship rebuilding that Titus had successfully begun. To continue rebuilding that and then hopefully allow for another visit, which later in his letter he, he mentions. He says, I do now plan to come to you because we've started this reconciliation and I do want to see you. And then I can collect the money for the Jerusalem believers and I can take it to them. And so he's hoping to continue rebuilding that relationship. Secondly, a second purpose is to counter this destructive teaching. The implicit theology of these super apostles which measure God's saving work in Christ by outward marks of success. That is simply not the gospel. It's the way of the world, not the way of the cross. Third, to reassert his apostolic authority. And much of 2 Corinthians concerns what one writer describes as the legitimation of an apostle. It's a significant theme in all parts of the letter. The opening and body, there are sections where his authority and how he's a legitimate um, apostle comes up in the collection chapters, in chapters 8 and 9, and in the closing chapters, in chapters 10 to 13, where he defends his ministry. Throughout, he's having to defend himself and say, I am a legitimate apostle. Because I am weak, I'm a legitimate apostle. So that's what he's having to do. And the question is whether Paul, who lives in weakness, bears the power and authority of Christ as the apostle to the Corinthians. And then finally, and this is a less central thing, but he is reminding the Corinthians of their promise to contribute to the collection for the impoverished Jewish Christians. And this has also been complicated been complicated by Paul's change travel plans, been complicated by the relationship breakdown between the church and him, as well as the influence of the false teachers. And so he just needs to address it. He needs to say, hey, this is still happening. This is still a thing. I still want you guys to give generously. And I'm going to come and I'm going to take that giving and put it where God needs it to go. So they're the four specific purposes under that overarching purpose of showing that God works. The gospel is shown primarily uh, and shown best in and so the structure of the book, you can kind of break it down into three sections. And those three sections are the first seven chapters, the chapters 8 and 9 in the middle, and then the last 10, 11, 12, and 13. And in 1 and 7, we see Paul explaining why he had to change his itinerary, why he had to change his travel plans. And he kind of goes in and out of explaining that into a particular theme that arises from that, and he goes back into it. He does that over the first seven chapters. Chapters 8 and 9, as we've said, he encourages the completion of the Jewish collection, ideally before he arrives, so he doesn't have to waste time when he's there, encouraging him to do that. And finally, his true apostolic authority 
He stresses that he's definitely coming this time. He is authentically an apostle. And he's also stressing his readiness to exercise discipline as an apostle, if necessary. Which I imagine has probably been a significant bit of friction with this church from the very beginning. That's kind of what probably led to the initial breakdown relationship, was him exercising discipline when he came because of all the issues in the church. And he's saying, look, just because this relationship is being rebuilt, this is my role as an apostle. It might be hard, but I have to do this. If there are still issues to be dealt with when I turn up, I'm going to deal with them. So that's the structure of the book. And in conclusion, 2 Corinthians, we can say, was written by Paul in order to mend a broken relationship, address false teaching, and demonstrate godly conduct and leadership in all things. So in the way that people relate to one another, in the way people relate to their leaders, and the way that leaders should relate to them through the gospel. And perhaps the message of 2 Corinthians can be best summed up in the very final chapter, chapter 13, verse 4. Christ was crucified in weakness, but he lives by God's power. For we also are weak in him, yet toward you we will live with him by God's power. So that's 2 Corinthians.